We're going to be studying this morning from Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. There are certain moments in our lives that change us. There are certain times that we can point at uh, in our lives where there's something significant that takes place that alters the event of what we're doing and even can alter who we are. We can point to them. I can think of very specific times in my life where my life transitioned, where, where something happened that changed me. I can point you to the date and time. I can point you to the people that were there. I can remember things that were said. I can remember how I felt, um, where, where life pivoted, where, where something changed because an event happened. Now, sometimes those events are good and they're happy and they're encouraging and we look back on them fondly and say, that was great and boy, the Lord really blessed. Other times we look at it and we say, that wasn't the best and that really uh, damaged me in some way and it really changed my life in, in what I would consider at the time to be the wrong direction. And in those times, one way or the other, there's always a sense of uncertainty and unease and apprehension. Even if it's positive, even if it's a, a happy thing that's taking place, we still feel a little unsettled that we don't know what the future is going to hold. Let me give you an example. When you get married, it's wonderful, it's happy, you're at the top of your life, everything seems beautiful and, and fantastic, and your whole life's laid out before you, but at that time, you're still a little uneasy because you don't know where it's going to head and what's going to happen and where are you going to live and, and what's the future going to be like? Are you going to have kids and are you ever going to lose a job? Are you ever going to move? There, there's still a sense of unease. Obviously, in the times when things don't go well, and we look at those times and say, wow, that was, that was awful. I, I had a health crisis, or I lost a job, or a relationship broke apart. Those times also create this sense of unease. And really, when it comes down to it, the, the bottom line that we're feeling is a sense of fear. In some way, there's a sense of fear. Now, I can't imagine a a circumstance or a situation that would have created more apprehension, uncertainty, fear, unease, whatever word we want to use, where, where things were just unsettled, than to be in right in the middle of the Christmas account. Not only to hear the news that Christ was being born, not only to, to hear the news that Emmanuel was with us, that God came down in the form of a baby, and that this was going to change the course of history. Not just to hear about it, but to actually be asked to be personally involved in what was going on. To be a key player, so to speak. To be somebody that's right in the middle of it. For every person that is there that night, it is a life-changing moment. Their lives will never be the same. They'll never experience uh, things or view things in the same way because of what the Lord has asked them to do and how the Lord has asked them to be part of it. And it's so profound and so uh, life-changing to each of these people, especially the ones that we're going to talk about this morning, that God has to communicate the same exact message to each one of them. He has to tell each of them do not be afraid. Now, anytime God says, do not be afraid, it means there's fear present. 
that God has to try to quell and, and, and uh, knock down a little bit in our hearts and our minds because we tend to be very fearful. and We tend to, to get very nervous and apprehensive quickly. So here you've got one of the, uh, you've got the, the greatest event in human history uh, outside of the cross and the resurrection. You've got the incarnation. You've got Christ being born. And here are these ordinary people being asked to do extraordinary things and trust God in an extraordinary way. And, and they are, as we're going to see in a couple of minutes, completely filled with a sense of wonder and uncertainty and apprehension and fear. And God says to each of them, don't fear. Now that would seem easier said than done, because there's a personal cost. There's going to be a sacrifice that's going to have to be made to be part of this. And there are implications that, that are going to be not just for a moment, but for the rest of their lives. Now, every one of us struggles with fear on some level. Right now, every one of us that's sitting here has some fear. There's something that's disturbing us. There's something that is, that is churning in our heart and mind. It may be very powerful to the point that you're almost distracted that when you came, there's so much on your mind and your, and your heart's so full of stress and anxiety and worry and fear that, that you almost can't function socially. It's like you're saying hi to people, but, but you still just, there's not quite that connection. Some of us are dealing with that this morning, right now. Others have minor issues that are just kind of bothering us, but, but it's not to the point of being debilitating. But, but on some level, every one of us has fear. And then there's all that's going on in the world around us, which we've talked about so many times. Terror is a daily word in the news. Now, there's, there's really not a day where there's not some discussion of it, and few of us really feel settled by it, especially if you're a believer and you know Scripture and you know prophecy and you know where all this is headed and the potential implication for us as believers, you're disturbed by it and it, and it just kind of unsettles you to even look at the news. But we're really not the first generation that's dealt with this. I, I think sometimes we feel like, well, it's worse now. And in some ways uh, that I'll describe it is, but, but really every generation since 1910 has had significant events that created fear. In the teens, or what do we call them, the tens? I don't know what we call them. But 1910 to 1920, you had World War I. There was so much stress about what was going to happen, and, and the events of the world were, were very unsettled. My grandfather fought in World War I, and, and it was just a, a strange time in the world. Then you got to the 20s and 30s, and you had economic collapse. You had the Great Depression. Uh, things were unsettled coming out of the war, which led into a second world war in 1945 or 41, I believe it started. So now the world was at stress again, and people were wondering what was going to happen. Hitler became very powerful, started to march through Europe. Jews were being exterminated. Uh, I can't imagine what that time was like, but, but it was very stressful and very fearful, and people wondered if it was the end of the world. Then in the 50s, you had Russia, and you had the threat of nuclear proliferation, and people were building bomb shelters, and there was a genuine fear that at some point a nuclear bomb 
could be dropped because we had done that in the 40s. So now what was that going to mean to the world? Then you got into the 60s and, and people just kind of let everything loose and there was civil unrest and there was racial tension and there was sexual promiscuity now starting to take place openly and there was all kinds of riots and, and things were just, uh, just on edge. Then you got to the 70s, and the greatest fear was disco and fashion. No, I'm just kidding. The, the greatest fear in, in the 70s was, was financial recession. If you remember the long lines at gas stations and the oil embargo and the fact that hostages were taken in Iran. So now we started to see the Middle East come more into play in terms of our daily lives. The 80s was the threat of the Cold War. I know I'm giving history lesson this morning, but it's important we understand that, that this, we're not the only generation that's dealt with fear. The 80s, you remember, was the threat of the Cold War and what Russia was doing and Reagan stood up to Gorbachev and, and all that was going on there. And that led into kind of the, the malaise of the 90s and the discontentment and, and just a real sense that, that, at least in America, the American dream was dying, that, that people that were younger maybe would never own a house or that they'd be saddled with all kinds of debt. Now, from 1989, really, to about 2001, there was at least a sense that the world wasn't coming to us. We were dealing with our own issues, but we weren't fearing an outside threat. And all that changed on 9-11. And on 9-11, now it was in our face. Now it was on our shore. Now it was something that we're going to be dealing with uh, directly, and it's just gotten steadily worse uh, tens of thousands of terrorist attacks, many that we don't even hear about, taking place in the last decade. Now we kind of have this weird combination of terrorism and economic uncertainty and political corruption and, and the world just being uneasy. So we kind of have a mix of all of them. Fear. Every day there's a new sense of fear. Every day there's a new story that wakens us up. Every day now we're really kind of asking, what if? What happens if? What will I do if? And that in some senses just drives us because it has created some very uh, interesting and, and I would say even controversial reactions within Christianity, we have to be careful that we're not responding uh, within Christianity to what's going on in the world with, with anger and hatred and violence uh, because that's just perpetuating what the devil wants. We have to make sure that our message is still gospel-centered, that it's still Christ-centered, that it's still hope-centered, that it's still love-centered. That doesn't mean we're, we're wishy-washy. It means that we're focusing on what Christ came to do. Because fear has the ability to change you. It has the ability to, to influence you in negative ways. And, and it really uh, distorts, it, it either kind of distorts your convictions and your behavior, or it causes you to stand on the sideline and, and just be fearful. And that doesn't just mean terrorism. We're not just talking about world events. There's really a far more common fear that all of us fight every day. And it's not just, is something going to happen at the mall, or is somebody going to shoot somebody, or, or is there going to be some kind of uh, problem that takes place. I'm talking about something that impacts us every single day and can not only affect how we view what the Lord's doing in our lives, but it also can affect whether we're willing to trust Him. So, long introduction, 
This fear that's, that's every day for us is all throughout the Christmas account. So take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to navigate back and forth between Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2 this morning. So I encourage you to, to just put a bookmark in the one we're not in. And um, in a couple minutes we're going to read a, a number of texts, about maybe 12 verses uh, from each book. So Luke chapter 1 is where we start. Now... I've, I've been trying to imagine for as long as I've been saved and reading the Bible what it was like to be one of the key players. What was it like to be Mary? Or what was it like to be Joseph? Or what was it like to be the shepherds out in the field hearing this word? We think about them every December, and then by the time we get to January, we don't think about shepherds anymore. We stop thinking about what it was like for Joseph to get the news from the angel or what it was like for Zacharias to be in the temple and hear that he was going to have a son. Once we get to March, we're just praying the snow has stopped and it's getting warmer and we can plant some flowers and, and kind of look towards summer when we can get away from the mess. We don't think about the characters that are here. But these ordinary people did magnificent things. They were called to a significant personal sacrifice and investment into the plan of God. And here's what we know about being God's will. It is not easy. Or at least it's not always easy. There's sacrifice required. There's, there's personal cost required from being in the will of God. And I don't say that to push you away from it. I say that to draw you toward it. There's a genuine concern when you're following the will of God, when you're yielding to the will of God, that, that God will move in a way that will take you out of what you planned and what maybe is even comfortable for you and even maybe what makes sense to you because we're finite and we only see through a glass darkly. There, there is a sense that there is going to be a sacrifice. And even though we know His ways are not our ways and that His plans are far above anything that we could ask or think, there's, there's still a commitment of faith to move forward and to keep trusting Him. Because all of our fear really settles into three basic issues. And I want to encourage you to write these down. Take some notes this morning because this applies to your life. This applies to my life today, tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. So fear really comes down to three core issues. There is the fear of lack of security. There is the fear of trusting what we can't control. And there's the fear of plans changing. Let me say them again in case you didn't get them. There is the fear of lack of security. There's the fear of trusting what we can't control. And there's the fear of plans changing. Think about every issue that you're stressed about right now, everything that's burdening your heart right now, everything that causes you to stay up at night and be stressed. Almost invariably, and I'm sure there are exceptions, almost invariably they will fall into one of these three categories. And for each person in the Christmas account, which we'll look at in a minute, their fear, their, their apprehension, their uncertainty, their tension in their heart and mind was based on at least one of these things. And it's interesting that the Lord then responds to them with the exact same phrase and reassures them, listen now, that His answer to fear is Himself. His answer to our fear is Himself. His message is consistent. It, it's so important for us to hear and live by that four times in these texts, 
heaven communicates, do not be afraid. The fact that it's four times means that this is not just some trite throwaway. Hey, it's fine. Just be safe. It's okay. Don't be afraid. This is a clear, decisive, definitive, strong message to each person that's involved in the story and to us that we do not need to be afraid. It's a very real solution that the Lord has for the types of fear that we deal with in our everyday life. And God always points back to himself. When we feel, uh, excuse me, when we uh, fear a lack of security, when we don't feel settled, when we feel like we're in danger, God secures us with his presence. The answer to a lack of security, and we'll develop this as we study, the answer to a lack of security is the presence of God. When we fear trusting what we can't control, God responds with his provision. And his provision is always abundant. It's never lacking. It's never partial. It's never just, here, have a bite, and there will be more later. God pours out his blessing and pours out his provision. So when we are fearful because we don't know if we can trust what we can't control and we can't manage it and manipulate it, God responds with his provision. And when we fear changing plans, God leads us in his plan. So we have fear of lack of security. God says, I'll give you my presence. We have fear of not trusting what we can't control. God says, I'll give you my provision. We have fear of plans changing. God says, I'll give you my plan. Now, let's develop this out of the text because each of the people that we're going to talk about this morning lives in this type of fear. And God has to reassure them that he is, is taking care of them and providing for them to the point that they can trust him for something that just seems uh, almost, in a sense, outlandish in terms of how it's going to affect their lives. Look at Luke chapter 1, first of all. Let me try to get there, and that would really help. Let's look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 11. We read this last week, but I want to give it to you again because it fits well with what we're doing. An angel of the Lord appeared to Zacharias, standing to the right of the altar incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Now keep your finger there in Luke chapter 1 and go back to Matthew chapter 1. And let's start in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had become betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was still pure. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now go back to Luke chapter 1 again. So we've got Zacharias, we've got Joseph. Now go to chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. 
The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now go over to chapter 2 and verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now in each of these passages, for each of these people, they feel a certain and distinctive type of fear. It says that Zacharias was gripped by fear. The word there means to fall back. So you can visualize this, that, that as Zacharias told the word, he kind of he reels a little bit from the implication of what the angel's telling him. Then you see that Joseph, when he's told in the dream, he's not literally described as fearful, but the angel tells him, do not be afraid. And the word there is different than the other texts. It means to be scared away. Mary is told, do not be afraid. And when she's told the news, uh, it says that she's perplexed. The word there in the Greek means to be deeply agitated and troubled. And then the shepherds, as they see this bright light, they see the angel out in the darkened field, it says that they are terribly frightened. The word is megas in the Greek. It literally means there was a huge fear, like they were just overwhelmed by it. Now, why do we bother to take time to say what each word means? Well, that's the beauty of Scripture. That's why we, we want to learn to dig down into Scripture, because if we just say they were fearful or they were afraid, our mind forms a concept of what that was. But for each person, there was a different reaction, and it's a little bit nuanced, but it's important to understand why it's different. The fact that Zacharias falls back means that he's startled by the news, that, that not just seeing an angel as he's burning incense, but, but he's, he, he, he steps back. He's like, wait a second, at the news that his wife Elizabeth, who's far beyond childbearing years, is now going to have a child. And not just that they're going to have a child, but that he is going to be the one that paves the way for Messiah. Joseph, when he hears the news, he's, he hears that, that Mary's with child and he starts to evaluate his plans. But then the angel comes and talks to him because he is on the verge of being scared and, and kind of running away and saying, well, I'll, I'll send Mary away and we'll kind of get rid of the problem that way and, and, and I don't want to disgrace her, but I've also got to watch my reputation. So, so maybe, maybe I'll just uh, I'll drop the engagement, I'll send her away. And the angel says, no, that's not the plan. Don't send her away and don't you run away from the problem. Mary gets the word. She's going to have a child. And she's understandably stirred up as any teenage girl that's being told this would be. She's troubled by all the implications of it. And then you've got the shepherds out in the field and they're, they're just absolutely blown away. They're overwhelmed not by the appearance of the light, but by the news that they're being told. See, these reactions highlight the, the three sources of fear in our lives that I mentioned earlier that you've written down. The, those three fears that, that, that grip us and that grab us and that change the way we think. 
And, and God has an answer to those. Before we look at his answer, let's, let's develop them a little bit more. Let's talk about how they impact our lives. The, the first, and I would say the most primary source of fear is the first one you wrote down. It's the fact where we don't feel secure. We know the rise of terrorism. We know how that's making us feel. But there's also an increase of crime. There's, there's insecurity created by the instability of finances. There's, there's health issues that are uncertain, that we don't feel secure in what we're going to hear from the doctor. There are our own personal insecurities. At the core, we, we really just want to feel safe. In every way possible, we want to feel secure. We want to know that we can get to the end of the day without any major crisis. And that if a threat comes, that we're prepared. That's why there are 310 million guns in the United States. 310 million guns. The gun industry has a $6 billion in revenue. It's why Americans spent $27 billion on personal home security last year. It's why businesses spend $77 billion just on digital security. Everybody wants to be safe. We hear ads all the time about identity theft and about protecting our money and protecting our home. And we're kind of bothered, I think, that nothing quite feels as safe as it used to. And it feeds into our greatest internal fear, which is we aren't secure. Now, that even has an impact spiritually. One of the fastest growing tenets of theology is reform theology which says, at, at, at kind of at its core two principles, that God chose you to be saved and that you can't lose your salvation. Well, why would there be now a sudden movement toward Reformed theology? And there's nothing wrong with Reformed theology. Some of you are Reformed. I'm not being critical of it. I'm saying, why is there suddenly a movement toward Reformed theology? Because we want to be secure. We want to be certain. Now, for each of the people in the Christmas account, there are two issues of insecurity. One is that they feel inadequate. Who are we? Why would you choose us? We're just teenagers. We're, we're just planning to get married. Why would, you, why would you allow this? Zacharias, I'm just an average priest. I'm just doing my job. And now all of a sudden you're going to not only give us a baby, but you're going to give us a baby that's going to change the world, that Jesus will call the greatest man ever born. And, and the shepherds, we're just, we're just out here watching these smelly sheep. Why, why would you do this? Who are we? Mary probably deals with that insecurity the most. She, she doesn't understand why she's favored. When the angel says, uh, hail favored one, she goes, what? What are you talking about? I'm just a kid. And when God tells her the responsibility, I want you to notice if you still have it open in the text in Luke chapter 1, she calls herself a bond slave of the Lord. She doesn't say I'm co-equal with Christ. She doesn't say I'm without sin. She says, I'm a bond slave of the Lord. I, I, I'm not worthy of this. I, I'm, just, I'm just somebody that you've called. There's a sense of inadequacy, and inadequacy always creates insecurity. The second insecurity that they had was what they were being called to do was so far outside their control and, and required so much of a life change that there's absolutely no way on their own they could feel settled. There's no way this could be a secure situation other than the fact that they had the word of the Lord. So look at how the Lord deals with this. Look at how the Lord responds to this, this insecurity. He responds by securing us with his presence. The best 
answer for your insecurity, the best answer for not feeling safe, not feeling protected, is the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. I know some of you have had times where you felt very much under attack and opposition. I could tell you stories uh, from when my dad was in evangelism where, where we literally had uh, a sense of demons being in the house and footsteps coming up the stairs and opening up the door and there was nothing there. I mean, very intense time. And, and my parents came to the place where they said, anytime you see that, you just claim the blood of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's his presence. That's his power. There's always power in his presence. And by responding to our insecurity with the presence of God, in doing that, he shows us a permanent solution for our personal and spiritual insecurity. The angel tells each person the good news. A Savior is born. There's going to be a Savior. God in flesh is going to come down and dwell among you. And His goal is to save you from your sin. This is a day of rejoicing. He's going to forgive you. And He's going to buy you from sin. And He's going to claim you as His own. And He's going to secure you as His own and give you His Spirit as a seal. You see, as His children, God secures us forever. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us at salvation. He, he, he secures us, seals us, says you're mine. You have my name now. Nothing can take you away from me. I own you. I bought you at the price of Christ's blood. And then he comes near to us when we call on him and he allows us to abide in him and he, and he communes with us when we pray. Everything God does is to draw near to us. So what do we do when we're insecure? We do what Joseph initially thought. We run away. But that's not the answer. The answer is to draw closer. It is a fact that when life is, is spinning and confusing and you don't feel secure in it, there is nothing better than you can do. There is nothing more fulfilling than getting into the presence of the Lord. You know what people tend to do in crisis? They run away from church. You know what people tend to do in crisis? They know they're supposed to pray, but they don't pray. They know they're supposed to get in the Word, but they don't get in the Word. They run away. But I want to tell you this morning, I'm living proof of it, and you are too, that when life is confusing, you go straight to the Lord. 